2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 16. Hear the word of the Lord. I repeat, Paul says, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. Whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Let's pray together. Father, I know it is a dangerous thing to speak about your word, knowing that I can mislead a number of people by getting the meaning of your message wrong, by teaching false doctrine myself. Uh, by even presenting it in the wrong mood and the manner. But we know it's also a dangerous thing for those who are hearing your word preached. As they hear it in one ear, let it not go out the other. That they might not grow hardened to your, your word and become accustomed to reading things into the word that are not there, that are not from the Holy Spirit, but from our own hearts. Lord, we pray that you would help us all to receive your word as you've given it to us we would not know who you are if you had not revealed it to us we pray father your spirit would continue to illumine our minds give us insight give us wisdom from above we pray in jesus name amen so this week my mother shared something on facebook which is always dangerous for my mother to share things on facebook But she shared probably the most honest post that anyone has ever shared on social media. She wrote simply, I love my sins so much. But strangely, under the caption, there wasn't a picture of her wrestling with her sin or on her knees in fervent prayer, confessing her sin, as someone might expect. 
who professes faith in Christ. Instead, she had posted a picture of me with a great big smile on my face. Leading some, perhaps, to believe that maybe I was born out of wedlock or some other issue of uh, secret sin that maybe people didn't know about it, that I was this uh, just great big bundle of sin. Of course, it was son's day, apparently, which I didn't even know there was such a thing, because I don't have sons, I only have daughters. But I think she meant to say, I love my son so much, but instead had written, I love my sin so much. Either way, it's still, there was much truth in that statement. For when I heard it immediately, I thought of Psalm 51, when David said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So in a sense, yes, I am the sin that my mother loves. I was conceived in sin, born in sin, inherited my sin from her and from my father, and now can promote the same as, as they. In that sense, I'm nothing to boast about. I have nothing to boast about. Nothing good dwells in me that is within my flesh. That's what Paul says very very plainly. And it's also the very thing that the Apostle Paul is trying to teach the church in Corinth in regard to their boasting. They had been boasting of things in the flesh, of which there's nothing to boast about, because all we have in the flesh is sin. But yet his antagonists, if we've been talking about them for a number of weeks now, have been boasting continually according to the flesh. Boasting in foolishness, Paul says, that they have been continually boasting according to their own sinful distortion of the truth, according to their own sinful rebellion against God's word, boasting in themselves. Nevertheless, Paul engages in this boasting battle, if you will, uh, in order to show how ridiculous it really is, in order to distinguish between his ministry and theirs, that there's really nothing in common between the two. He is working under the power of the Holy Spirit, they're working according to the power of the flesh. And so these so-called super-apostles were continually boasting in the wrong manner. But as you know, in the first epistle of Corinthians, which we covered a few years ago now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul said that he had become all things to all people that he might save some, right? And there's one particular expression where he says, I became weak to the weak in order that I might win the weak, right? Well, in this particular case, you could say the same thing. And in order to win the fool, he's acting like a fool, acting completely as foolish as they are in order to try to win some of these people back who have been fooled by others, if you will. So verse 19, he says, you gladly bear with fools being so wise yourselves. Obviously, he's being sarcastic here. He's accusing them of actually being played for a fool by these other people who have been taking advantage of them in so many other ways. And and not surprisingly, that many of the patterns that these false teachers have shown are the same patterns that we see in cult leaders today, right? It's the same, they're doing the same things. Uh, Verse 20, Paul says, for instance, you bear it if someone makes slaves of you. It's very common uh, in, in charismatic leadership when a cult member begins to come into popularity as he gains power, he stresses some super spiritual knowledge and authority, and, and immediately he, he demands absolute obedience from his followers, dependence upon him in every way. They can't think for themselves. They're not allowed to act according to their own conscience. They have to do what he says, and so they effectively become a fool and become slaves, giving up their freedom to become his slave. That's exactly what's happening here in Corinth. Then second, Paul says also, he says, you bear it if someone devours you or takes advantage of you in some way. Again, 
we know in charismatic leadership, that's usually the next step. After they get complete control, complete dependence of the people upon them, they begin to take advantage of them, usually by having them empty out their bank accounts, right? Rule number one, as soon as I have your complete control, then I want you to give me all your money. It's to prove that you're under my control. Or else give me your very bodies. You, you see very often in cult leadership, immediately he begins to ask for someone's wife and children to have as his own. If you want to prove that you're loyal to the cult leader, you have to be willing to give him those things as well. And therefore he begins to devour not just the soul, but the body as well. Then third, Paul says, you bear it if someone puts on airs or strikes you in the face. Again, it's not enough just to have control. He has to prove over and over again that he has authority over you, and he's going to do that by humiliating you, demeaning you, showing that he has the right to hit you, to hurt you, to, to harm you in some way or another. And so as a result, we begin to see very clearly something's going awry in the church at Corinth. There are many people that have begun to buy into the lies of these false apostles. They're calling them super apostles. They begin to demean them, harm them in some way, and yet they say, wow, they're so great. They've bought into the lie. They've been manipulated in some way or another. That's exactly what's going on in Corinth. And, and again, if, if you've seen it, you know, perhaps you've seen it in, in uh, different aspects of the news, but there are people that will start out in a church just like this, and then somehow they've been wooed away by some cult leader into something just like that. Be very careful. The gospel is meant to free you. It's not meant to enslave you, right? The gospel is meant to give you joy, not the constant sense of fear that you're having to submit to some person who's controlling you in some way. So Paul says to them, <clears throat> if you're willing to put up with that type of foolishness, then also bear with me a little bit in some foolishness, if you will, as I seek to boast about the same things they're boasting in. Yet he says to them <clears throat> in verse 21, to my shame, I must say that we were too weak for that. <clears throat> in other words, we were too weak to abuse you. We were too weak to manipulate you. We were too weak to devour you in that sense. Instead, <clears throat> if we're going to boast, though, let's boast a little bit in our pedigree and our works of service. That's where he's beginning to go. So in verse 22, if you look there, <clears throat> Paul asks the question, are these super apostles, are they Hebrews? Well, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. If, are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. And it's very similar, in fact, if you go to Philippians, the epistle to Philippians, you turn to chapter 4 there, you'll see the same argument by another group of people, and Paul's defending himself by boasting in the same manner. There he says, though I put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence, if anyone thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. But then at the end of that epistle, of that passage, he says, but whatever gain I had, I now count as loss for the sake of Christ. I boast in Christ. I don't boast in myself. But he can't do that with the Corinthians yet because the Corinthians have come fully under the control of these super apostles. The Philippians were just beginning to be introduced to this teaching and they were able to immediately get out from underneath it. The Corinthians are entrenched in it. And so he literally says, I have to play the fool 
in order for you to listen to me because you've been so fooled by these other people. And so he begins to talk about his pedigree, just as they do. But in this case, he's basically saying, I'm more holy than they are. I'm more pure. I have a better pedigree than theirs. So if you're going to base it upon that, I'm going to win. So listen to what I have to say. Likewise, uh, he also begins to to defend his service, his works of service. Verse 23, he says, are they servants of Christ? Dot, dot, dot. He says, I'm a better one with a far greater labors. Now, at this point, you would expect uh, Paul to say something like this. I've planted more churches than they have. I've preached the gospel in more countries than they have. I have raised more money for the kingdom of God than they have. And he could keep going on and on and saying all these things, but he doesn't do that. Instead, in mid-sentence, it's almost as if he's completely changed his mind about his tactic of where he wants to go with this, and now he changes his tone. Instead of focusing on the things that the super apostles are boasting of, he begins to boast about his weakness, his sufferings. And speaking of his labor, he immediately goes to suffering, sharing surprisingly that he had been imprisoned a number of times, which is something his antagonist had not undergone. Would not be something that they would boast in at all. Rather, they would seem that as shameful, as weak, that he had been in prison. They were so strong, he was so weak. And yet he begins to speak of a bunch of things like this. Countless beatings and whippings and the like, things that in his mind were genuine uh, in terms of his calling as an apostle, which was proving that their calling was not genuine because they had not undergone any of these things, had not suffered any type of persecution whatsoever. So I think many of you know now, <clears throat> if you don't already know, ChatGPT is the number one app of 2023 and the fastest selling app thus far in the App Store of all time, which would make sense. But up until that, the earlier part of this year, the number one app that was being sold or being given out regularly was the app Be Real. Most of you are somewhat familiar with that, especially the youth culture is familiar with that. Basically, Be Real is sort of response to Facebook and Instagram and all these other places that most of us want to post pictures of ourselves in which we actually somewhat look good rather than saying my son's a big sinner or whatever it is, you know, in that sense. We want to say, hey, this is, this is my life and it's so great. So Be Real was a response to that in which you're required to take a picture, I think it's a two-minute window, that you're supposed to take a picture of yourself, whatever you're doing. doesn't matter where you're at. I'm I'm assuming you have to have some safeguards for that. But wherever you're at, take a picture of yourself, and then whatever you're looking at. So it takes a picture from your phone of you, and then whatever's on the other side of your phone. My girls do this, so I'm always hiding so that they don't see me in the picture. But basically, this is what you're supposed to do. Every, uh, Every day, it's at a different time. It's scheduled so that you would have a picture taken of yourself. And I was thinking about this. What would happen if the Apostle Paul had the Be Real app on his cell phone? (sighs) Basically, what we're getting here is his Be Real memories. He's sharing for us what's happening for him in real real time, if you will, his real life. It's not something airbrushed like these super apostles are doing. He's showing you exactly what his life is really like. And so, in this particular case, he, he's taking a, a, a picture for, you, uh, for us, if you will, in which he's in prison. And on the other side of that picture, you see you know, the, the prison guards chained to him so that he can't go anywhere. Right? This is a, a common recurring photo, if you will, in his mind. On another day, he captures a photo of his face that's bleeding profusely on one side of the camera, and then on the other side, you see a bunch of 
Jewish citizens picking up stones ready to throw them at him again. This is a normal, real picture for the Apostle Paul as a result of preaching the gospel to the Jews. Same thing. If he goes through his Be Real history, we're going to find at least five accounts of him tied to a pole while a Jewish official strikes him on the back 39 times. Five times this happens, he says. The same way, we get at least three photos of him laying on the ground or else prostrate on his knees as a Roman official takes a rod and beats him on the back at least three times. I I keep saying at least because, keep in mind, this was written earlier on in his ministry. He's got many more years to go. In fact, we know later on of some more beatings that are not taking place yet. So this is just the beginning of his ministry under the gospel. Again, if if he were simply to take a picture of himself on this particular day when he writes this letter, and he were the, like the average youth, and he were to take his picture off, his, his shirt off, and take a picture of himself in the mirror, right? That's what youth do today, apparently. And he were to turn around, you see the backside. He'd have at least 139, 195 scars on his back from the whips alone. That's 39 times 5. 195 lashes from a whip, permanent scars on his back. Now, I don't know how many rod beatings he got, but add that to his shoulders and his arms and his back and what have you. Now, also imagine, just for a moment, if you will, when you consider his stoning, his face would have permanent scars from the stoning as well. So you can see why people are beginning to say Paul's not the most beautiful guy they've ever seen, and they're making fun of him. He looks like a weakling because he's been beaten to a pulp in so many different ways, and they're constantly promoting themselves as being super apostles, and then they're looking at this guy saying, he's a wimp. And so he begins to change tactics on them altogether and say, what you think is genuine is not genuine at all, but he he keeps going. In his Be Real memories, he shares that at least a few pictures from his files in which he's been shipwrecked. At least three times up until this, we know there's another shipwreck later on at the end of Acts. He's shipwrecked off the coast of, of the island of Malta. But at least in one of his accounts, we know for sure he has a be real file because he was in the open sea for 24 hours, at least, all day, all night. On one side, you see a picture of him sunburnt in the face from being out in the sun on the ocean or the Mediterranean Sea for however long. And then in the far distance on the other side of the camera, you see the, the waves are rolling towards him, right? This is his be real account. Over and over again, he, keeps, he can just take picture after picture and share it with them of the dangers that he faced when he's being held at knife point by robbers, when he's being pursued by wild animals in the wilderness, when he's being attacked by the mobs in the city. It just goes on and on. No matter how many pictures he were to share with you, it would still be some aspect of suffering. But then he, he, he says in verse 27, one of the things he suffers in every place is suffering at the hands of false brothers. Now this is interesting that he brings this up because this is the very suffering he's experiencing at this moment. He has false brothers, false apostles who are accusing him of not being a true apostle undermining his ministry, and taking people away from the gospel of Christ. In every church, he says, he has faced these people. And if you read his epistles, you'll see that's true. Again and again, this is what he's facing. 
So many times, he's, these are the pictures that are being taken. Again, you would expect in his be real file, if he wanted to airbrush it a little bit, he'd wait until <clears throat> he's before a crowd of 2,000 people, and they're all coming to faith in Christ. All the people that he baptized, if you will. All the people that, that, that were overwhelmed by his miracles. All the times he received awards at the Jerusalem Council for how many churches he had planted. None of that is he recording here. He's only recording all of these aspects of his suffering. But then again, he points out his suffering under these false brothers. This is a very common problem. But then he goes on and begins to talk about his ongoing anxiety and anger that he faces because of what these false brothers have caused and because of what, uh, everything else that's going on in the churches. Look in verse 28 29. <clears throat> there Paul says, apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? Again, instead of seeing an airbrushed picture of the happy Apostle Paul all the time, we see he's, he's, he's got wrinkles on his forehead. He's constantly anxious and unnerved by what's going on in the churches. He's, he's worried about them. He's praying for them. He's angry of what's happening in the churches because of these false brothers. There's a big difference between him and his antagonist. While they're boasting of their pedigree and of their prosperity, he begins to boast in all of his sufferings. And then to set the tone for what he's about to talk about in the next chapter, more of his weakness, if you will, he shares his very first be real memory, if you will, that was recorded in... The book of Acts, chapter 9. If you remember there, the Apostle Paul, who was then still called Saul, was on his way to Damascus. He had letters in hand in order to imprison and to persecute those known by the way, those Christians who had turned away from <clears throat> their Jewish teachings from the law of Moses and had turned to faith in Christ. And as a result, he went there to imprison them. But on the way, if you remember uh, he sees that very bright light with the ascended Jesus. Why are you persecuting me, Paul? And then he explains to him how much Paul himself would suffer for the name of Christ. Soon afterwards, we see Ananias is, is uh, healing him and baptizing him. And then the very second later, Paul goes into the very middle of the city of Damascus and begins to preach the gospel of Christ. The very man who was trying to kill Christians the very man who stood by and watched Christians be stoned, like Stephen, the very man who wanted to imprison more Christians, is now preaching the gospel in the same city he just went to attack. And that's not the picture that we have of the Apostle Paul. That's not the one he wants you to remember him by, that now all of a sudden he's had this dramatic conversion and he's preaching before a bunch of Damascus citizens, but instead he actually says, uh, he swears an oath that he's telling the truth in this regard. Verse 31, he, he calls God as his witness that everyone can know this is exactly what really happened, that as you might not expect, this guy who had uh, gone with such fierce animosity to attack Christians is now the weakest man on the planet, basically, because now what you have is the, the first be real picture we see of the Apostle Paul is of his brothers lowering this man down in a woman's basket outside of the wall of the city in the middle of the night in order to escape from those that used to be afraid of him. And now he's to be the scum of the earth, the person who's going to be mocked in every way. 
you know, uh, no one wants to share a picture, no man at least, I think, wants to share a picture of him helplessly being lowered in a woman's basket outside the wall of a city. But that's the picture he wants you to see. He says, if I'm going to boast in anything, I'm going to boast in this. I'm going to boast in my suffering. I'm going to boast in my weakness because that proves that I have a genuine call of God upon my life. And so as a result, he shares this picture. But it made me think, as he was sharing that, it made me think of um, Civil War. If you remember, toward the end of the Civil War, <clears throat> the South sort of lost, but I don't know if that's true, but they sort of lost. And when they lost, um, Jefferson Davis was the president of the Confederate States, right? Uh, he was still in Richmond, and he was about to get taken captive. And the legend goes that he dressed up as a woman in order to skirt the enemy, in order to get out of Richmond's safe and clear. Now, it, a number of people have quoted this as, as, as being accurate. Uh, there's some uh, concern whether or not it's an accurate story or not. We don't know. We, don't, we do know that he disguised himself in some way. He did not admit to disguising himself as a woman. He made it very plain, I didn't do that. But he didn't say how he got out of the city and what he did. Let's just put it that way. And uh, I was thinking about that in regards to the Apostle Paul because Jefferson Davis certainly would not admit to his weakness in that regard. But the Apostle Paul is boasting in his weakness. This is exactly what happened to me, and I had to be let out of the city in a very less than respectful manner, if you will. I didn't go out as a victorious person. After preaching the gospel, I went out as seemingly a coward, you know, um, at least in the eyes of some. So in that regard, he is saying that uh, for genuine apostles of Christ, this is the norm. This is our be real. It's not what these false apostles are saying, but rather this is what is the calling of us. Uh, literally, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9, God has exhibited us apostles not as the first of men, but as the last of all. Like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world. So this, this man who is now an apostle, he was not you know, sitting uh, in some throne room. He's in prison half the time. Every time he goes and preaches the gospel, he's back in prison. Every time he's beaten and stoned, he goes back to these same towns and preaches all over again. And, and not only that, but he continues to go to the Jews first, knowing that they hate his guts, knowing that they're going to reject his message, knowing that he's going to suffer again. And yet he continues to do it. He's not ashamed of his sufferings. He's not hiding from them. He's not running from them. He's rejoicing and boasting in his sufferings. For, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, he says this, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, meaning the believers in Colossae in this case, and I rejoice in my flesh that I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. He's rejoicing that his sufferings somehow continue the ministry of Christ in regards to the sufferings of the leader that would help raise up the follower through that suffering. Likewise, Galatians 6, verse 17 at the end of Paul's epistle to the Galatians, he says this, that, and he says it to a church that had caused him much grief and pain by denying his ministry and accusing him of all sorts of things. He says this, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. Do you understand now what he's saying by that? I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. 
he has marks all over his body because of his suffering. What the super apostles were devoid of, of these beauty marks, Paul is boasting in them because he's riddled with them, showing his faithfulness to the gospel of Christ. Therefore, Paul will continue to boast in this way. You'll see the rest of the chapter. He continues to talk about this, his weakness, his suffering as an apostle to prove to you that he does indeed love Christ, love the church. His sufferings are proving his love for Christ, his anxiety, his anger, all things that's happening at the hands of the false brothers, proving his love for the church. His antagonists, on the other hand, they have nothing to boast in. They don't get it. They don't understand the gospel. I was reading the other day, uh, St. Augustine was writing on a passage in Isaiah 53, verse 2, where it says, No form or majesty uh, the, the Messiah would have that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. And, and as Augustine is giving his comments on this passage, he says this has to be from the perspective of the Jews who were unbelieving. They saw no beauty in him. They saw no majesty in him, and that's why they were willing to kill him because they couldn't see, they couldn't stomach a suffering Savior. But for the believer, on the other hand, Jesus is just as beautiful on the cross as he is in heaven. He's just as beautiful in his suffering and his deformity as he is doing miracles and and his exaltation. It is his beauty. It exudes his beauty, his suffering. But again, the unbeliever doesn't get that. That's why he doesn't get the gospel. Paul says it's a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles because both, doesn't matter what background you come from, you still want to boast in your strength. And in order to get the gospel, that's the last thing you can do. You have no strength. You have no wisdom. You have to admit that you're weak. You have to admit that you're a fool. And then, maybe, you embrace Christ Jesus. The gospel, as you know, was not given so that the rich can get richer, but so that the poor could become rich. It wasn't given so that the wise could grow wiser, but so that the fool could become wise. Not so that the strong could grow stronger, but so that the weak can be strong. This is the message of the gospel, and this is what makes the deformity of Christ in his suffering and on the cross something beautiful to us because it gives us hope that in our own deformity, beauty comes through our hope, through our trust in Jesus Christ alone. That's, that's simply the message he keeps teaching again and again and again. The, the super apostles are trying to promote their own strength and therefore they don't get the gospel. The Apostle Paul wants nothing to do with boasting in his own flesh because his flesh is worthless. Christ is everything. He's the treasure, the all in all. Trust in him alone. That's Paul's message, same message to us today. That's why he invites us to the table, that we can rest in his accomplishments, his glory, his beauty, his power, on and on and on. We don't rest in our own. We rest in him. Let's pray. Father, again, we ask that you would help us. We hear the message of the gospel of Christ. Sometimes it seems too true, too glorious, too wonderful for us to accept. But we know that it is true. That you take very weak, pitiful, poor, deformed people that are deformed because of our own doing because of our own rebellious nature, because of our own sin, because of our own foolishness, Lord, we pray that you would help us to trust in Christ and and, and begin 
to know the wisdom from heaven, begin to understand what true goodness and beauty are, that we might become good, we might become beautiful, not in ourselves, but by being in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us to trust in him. Help us to rest in him, we pray.